Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we're speaking with Meredith Hibbert. Meredith began her animal welfare career working at a no-kill animal sheltering facility in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Her knowledge and experience in animal sheltering expands from foster programming, admission guidelines, trap neuter release, and humane education programming, door-to-door outreach, medical and sanitation protocols, and humane investigations. Utilizing her sheltering experience, she then began to focus her efforts on reducing shelter intake through accessibility to affordable veterinary care. She has experience in implementing and training spay-neuter programs throughout the United States and has developed standard operating procedures for several nonprofit organizations. These policies have aided in clinic efficiency, which safely increased patient capacity for organizations focusing on high-volume, high-quality sterilization and wellness services. Meredith also provides veterinary technician training on low-stress animal handling and veterinary technician skills required for the high-quality, high-volume surgical environment. Meredith now applies her extensive knowledge to aid in global animal population management strategies. She continues to engage in public speaking events advocating for community-based TNR programs and affordable and accessible veterinary care. Meredith, welcome to the show. Hi, Stacey. Thank you so much for asking me to be a guest with you today. So you have everything in your back pocket that you need in order to be successful with community cats. It's a, it seems like you have touched almost every component of this field. How did you get started in animal welfare? So I don't know how much I found this work as much as this work really found me. I actually began what I thought was going to be my career in the tattoo industry. And it was really through this work that I began caring for a small group of cats behind a tattoo shop that I worked at in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And really at this time, I wasn't really aware of what a feral cat was or how to appropriately interact with unsocialized cats. So this really became a learning experience for me. And I'm sure as most caretakers know, this small group of about two to three cats that I was originally feeding grew significantly in size over a short period of time. And it was also during this time that we unfortunately started to enter the winter season in Pittsburgh. And I'm sure to all of our East Coast listeners out there, you can empathize with my desire to want to provide extra care for these outdoor cats during the harsh winter months. So at this time, I began doing my own research, mostly online, on how I could provide extra care for these cats during the winter. And through my online research, I stumbled upon the website for Alley Cat Allies. And through this incredible resource, I really began educating myself on what the best practices and care are for community cats. 
So like I said, I was in Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh at that time and now is fortunate enough to offer several trap rental and feral sterilization programs throughout the city. So this is when I began TNRing that colony of cats that I had been feeding out of the tattoo shop. And again, I'm sure most caretakers can relate to this. As soon as I started lugging around humane box traps and setting them throughout our neighborhood, community members began asking questions. And at this time, I realized I was not just providing services for these individual cats, but really I was implementing a program that would serve the entire community and change the public's perceptions about free roaming cats. So really through through this work, I recognized my passion for serving the underserved and working with communities to implement change for animals. So to sort of make a long story short, as soon as a position opened for an animal care attendant position at a no-kill sheltering facility in Pittsburgh, I jumped on that opportunity. And that job really enabled me to get my feet wet within the sheltering world and also provided me an opportunity to understand more about sheltering policy. I really immersed myself in all of the programs being offered at that facility. And shortly after I accepted that position, another position opened for a program assistant through the public spay-neuter program. And again, I jumped on this opportunity. And again, I began to recognize my drive to want to provide services needed for animals within our communities. So after being with that program for a short time, I decided to move my crew to Austin, Texas to accept a position at Emancipet. And to those of you who may not be familiar with this organization, Emancipet is now a national organization that began in Austin, Texas to offer sterilization and wellness services to dogs and cats. And it was really through the brilliant vision of our director, Amy Mills, that Emancipet really emerged as a conduit for social change within the communities that we were serving. And really through the guidance of Amy and other leaders at the organization, such as Miles Chadwick, I developed an understanding of what it means to truly serve underserved communities in a way that creates sustainable change for the animals that we love. So with that knowledge, I now serve as the Director of Field Operations for Animal Balance. And our programs focus on community engagement to ignite social change, which in turn creates sustainable solutions for the animals that we serve on islands throughout the world. These community-based sterilization programs provide protection and offer humane solutions for all species experiencing conflict in the areas that we serve. And this mission really began for us on the Galapagos Islands 12 years ago. And again, through the vision of our amazing founder and director, 
Emma Clifford, she began offering community-based sterilization programs on island for dogs and cats. And through the success of that program, Animal Balance has now expanded using that similar model to now serve 11 different countries around the world. Yeah, Emma Clifford has been a guest on our show a couple of times. So folks are interested in listening to her story. They can feel free to check out her show. Just go into a search bar at the communitycatspodcast.com website and just put in Emma Clifford and her shows will, will pop right up. You just said so much in that introduction there. It's just, it's, it's amazing all the different pieces that you, you talked about in your journey. You started out with assisting a colony. A lot of folks, when I interview them on the show, they'll be like, well, I got a kitten when I was four years old, or, you know, I found a mom with kittens and I fostered them. And, but you started out from that community cat, that trapper experience, that caregiver experience, and then built from there. And it's like you traveled kind of into the sheltering world, over to the clinic world, back out to the TNR world. It, it, I felt like there was sort of a bit of a loop going on there. Yes, yes, definitely. Starting in the sheltering world, luckily the shelter that I was working at at the time did offer services for the community, for the public, as far as sterilization and wellness services for their dogs and cats. So I did have an opportunity while working in the sheltering facility to also offer programs to the community. So it was interesting sort of seeing both sides of that. We were providing services that were trying to keep animals from entering the shelter in the first place. But of course, right outside of our door was the admissions desk. So we saw every day animals still entering the shelter. So it sort of made us start thinking outside of the box or outside of the cage, if you'd like, about how we could sort of strategically offer these services in a way that they were targeting communities that we knew had higher intake numbers in the sheltering system. Yeah. It's interesting uh, the with the cases that I'm working with now in, in Massachusetts, we're actually working with the communities that are statistically not representative in those numbers due to potential obstacles like location of the community to a large shelter, areas that have very transient populations, lots of low income, lots of different cultural issues going on. And so they may not even be registering in the sort of the data, the sheltering data, but yet you can go to this community on any given night and at 10 p.m., you'll see 15 to 20 cats on any given corner. And so that is an area that we're moving into sort of a, a, in a, a next stage in terms of, you know, looking at our measurement. One what word you brought up that really uh, tweaked my interest here was the word sustainable. Here at Animal Balance, you, you go into communities, create this MASH style clinic, a do low cost, no cost spay neuter in those communities, do outreach. But yet then 
your team moves away. So I don't know. Can you explain how that sustainability plays in that? So we actually, every time that we do enter a community and we serve islands, we do partner with local organizations. If there are local NGOs already in place serving cats and dogs, we reach out to all of those organizations, any humane societies that may be active, as well as any government council members that may have interest in animal welfare policies. So we try to include everyone in this process when we identify an area to serve. And to make these programs sustainable, although we enter, you know, several times a year with these large mash units, we try to support the services that the local NGOs have going on throughout the year. For instance, with our upcoming Big Island campaign, we have already shipped 50 traps and 50 transfer cages to Hilo on the Big Island. And those traps and transfer cages will remain with the local NGO to utilize as a trap library after we leave. And we view that as sort of bolstering up their services that they already have going on and just increasing their capacity. Yeah, no, Ed, so you're, you're creating a bit of that architecture and that then they can continue to build around it. In addition to equipment, uh, clinic capacity is very important. And so that's another important piece of the puzzle. If you don't have accessible spay-neuter in an affordable way, that's pretty challenging. Are you new to the Community Cats podcast? Don't know what to listen to first? Feel free to check out the listening module tab where we have grouped shows together by topic so you can listen to a bunch of shows around the same topic. Just click on the listening module tab at www.communitycatspodcast.com and enjoy learning about community cats. The Community Cats podcast will soon be a year old with over 200 episodes profiling amazing people who are all making a difference in the lives of community cats. If you would like to support the show, but not be a sponsor, feel free to contribute to our efforts by going to www.communitycatspodcast.com and follow the donate link. Help us to continue to provide excellent programming. You're talking about the Big Islands. We're talking about Hawaii. Do you want to talk more specifically about that project and the timeline? Yeah, sure. So um, we will actually be heading to the Big Island of Hawaii mid-July with a team of about 20 volunteers from around the world. We travel with experienced cat trappers, veterinarians, licensed veterinarians, and veterinary technicians. And then, like I said, um, we do recruit local volunteers to help in non-medical roles throughout our clinic as well. And we provide as many training opportunities in those clinics as possible. So again, we try to engage local veterinarians to participate in these clinics, local technicians that may have an interest in learning more high volume skills so that we hope we can leave some of these skills behind with them to again, increase their capacity on island throughout time. One thing that you have talked about, you mentioned a bit here, was doing some training on low-stress animal handling. And I'm wondering if you might be able to expand on that. Yes, that was actually one of the programs that we taught at Amansa Pet. And one of the values that we had was that all of our patients were safe 
during the day. Obviously, that was one of our main priorities. In keeping our patients safe, we had to be able to handle them appropriately. And and that would include low stress handling. So we reached out to a veterinary behaviorist, Dr. Sophia Yin, and we used her material to train our staff in the best practices of low-stress handling of dogs and cats in clinic situations. And Sophia Yin is absolutely fabulous. I would recommend her techniques to any veterinarians or technicians working in the field because she truly focuses on the needs of the animals as opposed to our human needs. For instance, cats, we would always spray towels and exam rooms with feel away prior to a cat entering a room just to um, reduce their stress while with us. We also trained our technicians how to appropriately handle cats by wrapping them with towels as opposed to scruffing them because this also minimized their stress in the clinic situation as well. So we'll make sure we uh, get her contact information or her website information in the show notes. So folks want to look that up, that we'll make sure we have that there for, for them. Absolutely. And she does offer an online course for veterinarians and veterinary technicians to go through. It's over a several week period of time. And you do get certified at the end of that course in low stress handling. It's very interesting. So one question that I seem to get from quite a few of my listeners is how to start a new practice. Project. And here you are, you've gone to the Galapagos Islands, you're going to Hawaii, you have these areas that you go out to. And I was wondering if you might have some advice to the person who's interested in starting a new TNR program, either in their own community, or maybe they're seeing a different area and they want to start something in a different part of their state. What sort of advice or guidance would you give them? So I would say the best advice is to try to engage as many people in your project as possible. So whether they be local NGOs, volunteers, staff members for those organizations, board members, as well as community members, council members, as many people as you possibly can involved in your project when you're sort of at the discovery phase of figuring out how you can provide the best services for communities. And including these people will open their hearts to a solution. So when discussing things with these particular people, I would recommend celebrating the special bond that people share with animals. And through those stories, people can identify and relate. And then from that, um, want to get involved in the programs to then in turn help animals in the community. I think that's great. Um, you know, in any time I enter into a new community, I introduce myself to the Board of Health, obviously to the animal control officer, any of the nonprofits that are bordering the area or participating in the area, just get as many people uh, and organizations involved. And it, it is amazing what you can leverage when you have a group of organizations working together. Yes. And also during those planning stages, I think it's an important to be an active listener, to really hear everyone's concerns before you present solutions to those concerns. So really to get to the root of all of the issue, issues, listen to what 
all people have to say, really, and what their concerns are for whether they be cats or dogs in their communities. And then from all of those concerns that you receive, then develop a plan from there. So with all the experience that you've had over the years and also your involvement in different parts of the country and beyond, if you look ahead five or 10 years, what do you think life will be like for community cats? My hope for community cats is that in the next five years, we will no longer have a need to house cats in a traditional sheltering facility. I think that the implementation of return to field programs or feral freedom programs are extremely hopeful. And I see sort of bolstering those programs and working within communities to rather than perhaps housing cats in sheltering facilities, finding other options outside of that cage, whether it be fostering or return to field. I just think keeping cats out of shelters as much as possible is very important. One of the challenges with that thought, and I think it's an excellent thought and idea, is the concern to ensure that make, making sure that when people do acquire their cats, that the cats are spayed and neutered or kittens and really promoting that early age spay neuter component and making sure that the clinics, spay, neuter, and wellness clinics are readily available to folks. Because one thing that has made a difference is the whole concept of spay, neuter before adoption. And that has made an impact in our communities. And if we don't have that from the spay, neuter before adoption coming from that traditional shelter model, we need to make sure that however you're acquiring your cat, that cat or kitten needs to be spayed or neutered. Yes. And I agree. And I think that in developing this model moving forward, my hope is that what we view as animal shelters that are traditional facilities to house animals for periods of time, I hope that those facilities will turn into resource centers for the community. So rather than finding a need to house animals that need homes, they would in turn focus on providing those accessible and affordable sterilization options or wellness services for animals in the area. And I think that that would be working toward a goal of reducing shelter intake to a point that hopefully we wouldn't need sheltering anymore. I agree 100%. And there's a group in Denver, it's denvercats.org, Anna Murren, and I, I interviewed them a few shows ago. And I think that they're doing a wonderful model for sort of what the future is looking like for us with that community center. Yes. Yes, I think that is the future for animal welfare, as I see it, is setting up those community centers to serve the community's needs. And of course, each community may have different needs. One of the things that I find extremely beneficial that we have a service offered here in Austin is a medical contingency that's set up through county funding for feral cats that have extreme medical cases. So if you find a cat that perhaps has a broken leg outside and it's a community cat, you are able to trap that cat in Austin currently, call the city shelter, and they will refer you to a private practice 
private veterinarian at no cost to you to be able to help that cat. And I think that those particular programs, as we see them expand throughout the country, will really change sheltering throughout the United States. Yeah, we have a Captain Courageous Fund. Uh, We had facilitated that for years to always provide for any injured feral cats that were in our target area. But now that program has been expanded to cover pretty much most of Massachusetts. And I just think those programs are fabulous. You know, 10 years ago, we couldn't have even dreamed about something like that happening. And now it's being funded through city funding, which is fabulous. Yeah, no, it's it is it's great. It's great to see so many things changing and and growing. It, it's a pleasure to be able to see all this happening. So, Meredith, if people are interested in finding out more about Animal Balance, how would they do that? The best way for them to learn about our organization is to visit our website. It is www.animalbalance.org. And from there, if you'd like to reach out to me, please don't hesitate. My email address is on that website. It is m. Hippert, H-I-P-P-E-R-T at animalbalance.org. And I would be happy to answer any questions surrounding any community cat policies. Meredith, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? No, just I think that in moving forward, every person can help any animal in need at any moment. So don't ever hesitate to reach out to your local humane societies. They are always in need of volunteers. And as well, if you're ever interested in working on international programs and you do have an interest in either trapping or a veterinary technician or a veterinarian, please don't hesitate to reach out to Animal Balance. We are also always searching for volunteers to travel the world with us serving animals in need. Meredith, I want to thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on my show and I hope we'll have you and Emma on again in the future. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Stacey. Thank you for listening to Community Cats Podcast. I would really appreciate it if you would go to iTunes, leave a review of the show. It will help spread the word to help more community cats. 